This is the Finding Strong Podcast. Push your limits, win the day, find your strong. Here's another episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Finding Strong Podcast. I'm your host, Pat Gates, sitting here with Mark Bott. Hello. What's going on, everyone? Mark, how's it going over there in Texas? Uh, it's going really well. 80 degrees and sunny today. Uh, just beautiful. Another another beautiful day of coaching, running, uh, working, living the dream. A lot of fun. Perfect. Yeah, I know it's like, it's like 50 degrees here in Michigan, so basically that's like 80 degrees. Yeah. Yeah, that converts to like 80 degrees in, in uh, Michigan. That's crazy. You guys have a nice winter this year. Yeah, it's not wasn't so bad. It's nice to get out there and actually be able to run outside in the winter and not just be in, indoors at all times. But you know, yeah, from from all gotta do what you yeah, gotta do. One hundred percent. From all accounts, it looks like it, the whole winter was mild. I didn't see any like negative twenty, negative thirty days or anything. No, which is which is kind of unusual. Yeah. All right, so we got a uh, we got a. Nice insightful podcast for you for you guys today. Kind of uh, kind of talk about improving your training. Yeah, I think yeah, supercharging your training. Yeah, for sure. All right. So before uh, before that, um, just kind of go over some of the some of the things that you have planned, right, Mark? Oh yeah, yeah. So I guess I think we should go back. Um, Ten days ago, I was in Austin, uh, and said. Um, for work and I was working out I already ran in the morning um, and I was working out and I uh, tore my triceps when I was working out um, so it doesn't require surgery or anything like that after after some follow-ups and initially thought it might um, but it, the pain was excruciating uh, it was really bad uh, it probably comes down to the way I was training. Uh, the intensity was really high. The, the rest was really low. I mean, all the traveling, you know, I, I was in the middle of like an 80 mile week, um, two with running and just all the traveling. I think, uh, I was probably a little bit fatigued. Um, so it is what it is, but he, he cleared me fully to run. Obviously it doesn't really impact my running at all. Um, the issue is, is that if I fall, uh, it's in a real vulnerable spot right now. Cause most people, when they fall, they would put their hands out um, theoretically to shield themselves from falling on a trail or whatever it is. Uh, if I do that and use my arm to do that, I could, I potentially risk, uh, tearing the triceps tendon off of the, off of the bone, um, at the insertion there. So he said, you just absolutely cannot fall. Um, so that means I can't train on the trails leading up to the Rattler run. And then, um, running the Rattler run is going to be questionable as it is. I have a tendency to fall in trail races, even though I do quite well, I still, uh, fall. So, um, that's going to be out now and, uh, Leadville is also out as a result because I would have had to win or whatever it was to, to get, uh, into Leadville with that race. Um, so I've decided to set my sights on something that plays a little bit more to my strengths and I'm really excited. So I'm going to the USATF hundred K championships, um, and it's an even year. So a certain amount of people at the championships make the, uh, hundred K team to represent the United States. Um, I'm not sure that I'm in in that kind of shape, but I'm definitely in the best shape I've ever been in my life. So I'm really um, excited to go up to Madison, Wisconsin in April and, and test my, uh, test my fitness against some of the best, some of the best uh, ultra distance runners really in the world. 
So that's really exciting yeah, for me. Definitely. For sure. Yeah. I'm super excited. I took the days off work. I'm going to meet you there in Wisconsin uh, crew for you as usual. I'm excited to see what's going to happen. Yeah, it's going to be a throwdown. I'm really excited. I know my my good friend Eric Lapuma, who won the uh, 50K champs uh, a few years ago and made the 50K world team last year, is going to be racing. So he's super fast. Um, But I'm not going to rule anything out. Like, I'm really young in the sport, and I do hope to make a team at one point. But uh, this race is really about just getting out there on the national scene and seeing what happens. But you know what? I'm a product of training in that really terrible weather that really, uh, in Madison, Wisconsin, in mid-April, can uh, be some terrible weather sometimes. So if it does, it really plays in my favor. So Definitely. Definitely, yeah. So yeah, so that's the that's the new plans. It doesn't really change much with the training. I, I logged ninety five miles last week. I got about eighty miles this week. I'm actually going to jump in a five k uh, on Saturday as part of my long run uh, to see where I'm at. But uh, I mean, I wouldn't put too much into that because I'm coming off a ninety five mile week and midway through an eighty mile week and through. Yeah. Run. So with uh, with your tricep, um, you kind of kind of like um, haven't been training like that, like with weight training or anything like that anymore. Kind of just resting up. No, I haven't been doing any weight training at all. So I, I really can't, um, there's nothing I can, I can really do. Like I couldn't even up until maybe yesterday, I couldn't even extend my head or my hand over my head. Wow. So yeah, not, not, not good, but, um, I don't think I'll be out of weight training for six weeks, but I'll be out of any kind of push motion on that tricep for six, six days. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Got to heal that up. Yeah. 100%. So, uh... So what, uh, what do you have on the agenda for today? Yeah, so I want to talk about ways to – little things you can do or implement into your training to really um, really supercharge and take your training to the next level. Um, one thing I'm faced with with a lot of my athletes and a lot of people who aren't even my athletes is they say, well, hey, I see your athletes putting in big weeks or I see my teammate put in these weeks and, like, um, why don't you have me doing that? And likely it's because they're not ready for it. Uh, yeah. And so I want to talk about all the ins and outs and training as it goes. And I think that, um, or I hope that people will find a lot of value in that. For sure. So what's the, what's the first thing you want to, you want to get out there? Well, I think I, you know, just to go over a few things, um, I, I want to go over pretty much, uh, I, I guess, write down a, a, a list is a mental list. I don't have it written down, but I have a, I have a list of, of three things I want you to do in terms of variance in your training. And I'll go into detail on those. Um, these are really important to vary. So um, let's start with that right now. Um, big thing is like, if you, I think if you add these three areas of variance into your training, you're less likely to get injured. You're more likely to recover better. You're more likely to perform and train better. And I think that this will provide um, a lot for people. Because I, this is the most common thing when athletes come to me that they're not doing, and this is something that I pretty much change immediately. So um, let's get into it, I guess. All right, let's do it. All right, so the services, uh, the, the first thing that I, that I would love to see people vary is the services that they train on. Um, running is a really repetitive sport, or just like any endurance sport, takes a lot of the same thing over and over again to be really successful at it. Um, and the problem is you can't really be successful at it if you don't do it a lot. So if you end up getting hurt, uh, that, that hurts your long-term chances of success and sustainability and happiness in the sport. So the first thing is you want to vary the services that you train on. Um, I like to see my athletes on any given week uh, get on a number of surfaces, including gravel, uh, grass, trails, track, uh, dirt if they can sometimes. You know, dirt roads are great. Uh, cement and blacktop. I think if you get on 
you know, I, I you don't have to get on hit maybe all what I name there six six services. You don't have to hit all six of those services, but I'd like to see you hit four every week, uh, without a doubt. Um, and there's plenty of opportunity. Like maybe everybody doesn't have access to trails. Maybe everybody doesn't have access to dirt roads, but everybody probably has access to tr- to a, a track, some turf. Uh, in between the track, uh, some grass, some softer services, some firmer services. Uh, so you should be able to get on at least four of those services a week. And I think logging a percentage of your miles on each of those services will be really beneficial. Um, you'll often see recovery runs or cool downs done on grass. I think that's that's tremendous. Um, so so that's really good. I mean, anytime you're getting on different services that are impacting or basically making you impact less, I think that's good. Um, but they also make you change your foot strike. So anytime you're changing your foot strike, like running on trails or, you know, just not running the same direction on, on a, on a road all day, every day, you're effectively limiting your body's overuse injury, you know, or potential for overuse injury because you're, you're being more dynamic in your movements effectively. Uh, you're landing on unstable surfaces, which are causing you to kind of stabilize, but you want to add these services in, uh, slowly. You don't want to just, if you, if you roll only run on the treadmill, um, all day, every day, you probably don't want to go uh, hop out on some on some rough trails and run all, say, 50 of your miles that week on some really rough, rough, nasty trails because I think that's a recipe for disaster. Just like anything we implement, you want to implement it slowly, right? For sure, yeah. And, I mean, I can kind of vouch for that because I was, like, tra- just, just mainly just training on just the treadmill because we had a stretch of, you know, of cold weather and I didn't feel like going outside. And then it was nice out and I went and ran – ran I got on some trails and my my shins were on fire and like my different parts of my ankle were on fire and I didn't realize what the heck was happening but now that you put it that way it's uh makes sense yeah you're 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 training effectively muscles stabilization muscles that you didn't really have to uh train and that's a good point so to further so to further I guess further elaborate on the um on the treadmill too I think that's an important piece um to further elaborate on that the treadmill is unique in the sense that there are a lot of benefits, um, but there are also some things to look out for. Uh, for one, treadmill is a softer surface. Uh, so it's good sometimes to have a really soft surface. Um, it's really good to maybe be able to avoid potential dangers like inclement weather, uh, if you're in an unsafe area. At the bottom line, if you spend, if the paces are a little off compared to what they would be on the road or whatever it is, it doesn't really matter on your easy runs and things like that. It doesn't matter for most people in most runs, really. If you if you want to have your heart rate at, say, 135 beats a minute and you do that for 30 minutes, whether it's in the cement or on the treadmill, you're really doing – you're really getting the aerobic work done. Uh, so it's a good tool for that. It's not a supplement for, for running outdoors by any means, but it's a good tool to use from time to time. The downside of the treadmill is it, instead of propelling your – instead of using propulsion, I guess, your body propelling itself forward, the treadmill's spinning underneath you as you're going up and down. Um, so that doesn't 100%, while, while some can be pretty good, it doesn't 100% mimic the effects of running uh, in natural environments. So it's key to remember that in that situation, your posterior chain can shut off. Um, and when you do that, you, you run the risk for a lot of injuries and create really bad habits. The posterior chain, your, your glutes, hamstrings, hips, um, those are really important. You drive a lot of power from the glutes when you're running. I mean, there's some of the biggest muscles in your body. So um, one thing you can do to circumvent that or, or to just prevent that in general is you can uh, crank the treadmill to like 1, 1.5 or 2 uh, incline. And that should help you keep your posterior chain activated. 
Um, and that does tend to better mimic the conditions of being outside, maybe wind and things like that. You have to keep in mind, none of those elements are at play, uh, but it really is a good supplemental tool uh, with those things in mind. Definitely. Cool. Um, so then, so so we know that we want to vary the surfaces. We want to hit on the gravel. We want to get on the grass. We want to get on the trails. We want to get on the track. Uh, and I, before I move on to the next thing, I'll give a quick example. Um, typically, Monday I do uh, pretty easy recovery jogs, uh, usually six to eight miles. Um, I try to keep the pace around seven fifteen to seven thirty for those, and just keep it really slow. Um, but one thing I do is I'll. I'll run up to this, uh, and, I, and I took you up there when you were here in Dallas. I, I run up to this really well-manicured uh, soccer complex by my house. And it takes me about yeah. 10 minutes of easy jogging to get there. And then I jog around. You know, I usually jog for like about an hour as a recovery run on Mondays. So that gives me just roughly just over eight miles or, um, you know, just a little more than eight miles. And so what I'll do is it takes me 10 minutes to get there. I'll run around on that grass changing directions um, for, you know, 40 minutes. And then I'll run back home. So I spent, you know, two thirds of that run on really soft grass surfaces. Uh, and I like it. I'm fine with the mundane, dis- the, you know, the really mundane uh, training, but it also provides a really soft surface for me to land on that. I don't typically get to in the, in the Dallas Fort Worth area because it's a bit of a concrete jungle. So that's one example of how I implement that in there. Uh, a lot of times I try to get long runs on rolling dirt roads because those can be real grinders and it can be really mental to just be out there alone, like kind of lone wolf on the dirt roads. Uh, so that's something I do too. And, and when you're running 25 mile long runs, like I did this last weekend, um, it's really nice to have that softer surface, especially as you get closer to your race and that might be something you're training on or racing on. So that's uh, just two ways I implement two of those different services. Perfect. But yeah, let's move on. So the next thing I want every single person that I coach or every single person that I advise to vary is their paces. This one is really big. A lot of people come to me and I look at their training for weeks before I, before I start coaching them. And I see this is almost always it's foolproof. I see that they run basically all their miles at one pace um, you know, just, just as an example, I have an athlete, he's, um, just about a two fifty marathoner. He runs all of his easy runs at seven minute flat pace, you know, all 60 miles that he runs easy in a week or 50 miles that he runs easy in a week are at seven minute pace. Um, I don't like to see that. I think some days you'll feel better. Some days you'll feel worse. Uh, you really should just go by effort and not be ruled by the watch and say, I need to hit the seven minute pace. That number is really arbitrary. Anyway, I think an easy conversational effort uh, forever pace is what you should run in your easy runs. Let's remember that your easy runs are really there designed to help you um, just kind of recover, to help you build an aerobic base and to help you get ready for your next speed session, which that should be the really hard effort. So easy runs are just there to get you to that next session. Uh, it, in a lot of ways, easy runs are very important, but we talk about that all the time. So I'm not going to dive too much into that for the sake of everybody listening and repetitiveness. Um, but your easy runs should really have a pace and or variance. And my easy runs can range anywhere from, you know, 745 to eight minute pace on the recovery aspect. And they can range all the way down to 630 pace on the, on the faster end of easy, or even into the 620 sometimes with a, well, with the heart rate, that would be considered in the easy range by heart rate training, even though I don't use that. Um, so as you can see, that's about a 90-second range. Um, and what I see is a lot of athletes, they, they just train with their easy pace way too close to their marathon pace. Uh, usually, you'd like to see 
uh, a runner's easy run be somewhere between 60 seconds and 75 and even 90 seconds slower than their marathon pace. I have a lot of athletes, their, their easy run pace is actually faster than their marathon pace. And that's something that's going to need to slow down if they're going to build mitochondrial uh, density, capillary density, the ability to use fat as fuel, all those things that are really important in, a, in an easy run, you miss that when you get too close to your marathon pace. And I see that so much. So that's the first thing I change. So we really want to vary the paces. Um, and what I like to see people do is work into their easy runs. Um, it's really common that my, the first few miles of my easy runs will, will be 720, 715, 710. And then by the time I'm finished, I'm running a really comfortable 640 pace or 645 pace. Um, it's really good to, to listen to your body, let your body adjust, wake up and work out kinks, you know, those first couple miles. So even having those same ranges, even in an individual run is, is a really good thing. And again, that breaks up the consistency or the, I guess the overwhelming consistency of, of endurance training and then reduces the risk of overuse injury again. Gotcha. So varying services and varying paces. Yeah. Those are both, those are both really important. And I think they're often overlooked. The pace one is huge. The, the, I mean, the pace one is just absolutely insane. I almost have to adjust my easy pace or the easy pace for every single athlete that I take on. I've coached dating back to 2008. I've coached set, like, probably thousands of athletes um and and i'm coaching several dozen of them now and the biggest thing that i'm changing is the easy run pace so um i'm glad that i'm able to adjust that but it's it's definitely an epidemic uh so it's something to look out for so vary the paces don't be ruled by the watch don't be ruled by your ego run very easy and conversational on your easy runs hit your prescribed paces or prescribed effort on the on the really hard runs and you will flourish as a runner for sure. Yeah. And then now the next thing I'd go to is the next thing, you know, in this rule of variance or whatever this is that I'm making up or the concept of this variance is vary your footwear. Um, I see so many athletes uh, running in the same shoe every single day. Now I'm at a luxury to effectively get sh- shoes for free anytime as I want, as much as I want, essentially um, shoes that haven't come out yet. Uh, shoes that are prototypes, things like that. I have access to these and I don't expect that everybody else does. So I want to clear the air on that first. But what I, I think a wise investment would be when you buy a pair of running shoes, buy two pairs of running shoes and rotate them and make sure the shoes are different. Uh, when you get athletes running at different drops, different cushioning levels, um, I think it's better because it, you're, you're effectively, again, altering your foot strike just slightly, um, but enough to to break up that really repetitiveness and, and, and lower the chance of an overuse injury. Um, so people say, well, like, I just want an ultras, man. They're just zero drop. But, like, if, if you buy into the zero drop, um, I will go as far as to call it nonsense. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, people in the shoe industry – um, are really going away from specifying or, or, or putting a lot of importance on the drop of a shoe because it just physically doesn't matter. Um, but a lot of people have it in their head. So if you want to only use zero drop shoes or four drop shoes or six drop shoes, you know, I had a guy the other day say, I would try these, man, but they're six millimeter and I'm used to four millimeter. And I'm like, you, do you really notice two millimeters? You know, like that's something I could talk about all day and I could rant about all day. Um, But I'm not one to hold the clipboard and say this, this two millimeter gives me a better, you know, pelvic tilt. Unlikely, unlikely. So 
what I think is vary the drops. You know, maybe you have a traditional shoe that's a 10 millimeter uh, heel to toe offset or drop. Um, that's what we're commonly referring to is when we say drop is the heel to toe offset. Um, I'd maybe look at maybe a six millimeter. Um, I run in a range of shoes ranging anywhere from four millimeters to 10 millimeters. Um, if you threw one on my foot and like, other than I just know the, the, the feel of the shoe really well, if you gave me the same foam in each shoe and, and, and had all different drops, I would have no idea how to tell you the difference. Uh, if I had a blindfold on. I only know them because I know the specifications of the shoe because it's my job, but I don't think that they're that they're valid or in any way um, that big of a deal. But what I would do is is vary the drops of the shoes, vary the amount of cushioning in the shoes. Um, the more variants you have, the less likely you are to just fall into that three steps a second, 180 steps a minute cadence. Uh, just flat cement back and forth, back and forth. You're likely going to come down with an overuse injury, and that. Uh, is amplified about 10 times, you know, tenfold if you're, if you're one, uh, have some kind of uh, dysfunction in your movement patterns, or two, aren't doing the proper things for recovery. So I think that really segues us into the next thing we want to talk about, and that's recovery. Um, so Pat, why don't you tell me, I'm not really up to date on what you've been doing. Why don't you tell me about your recovery protocol following a run or a ride? So what I've been doing, um, so if I go out like on a hard run or if I have like a really hard day at uh, jujitsu, the next day I will uh, get up in, in the morning and I'll roll out, um, stretch a little bit, and then head to the gym where, there, where our new gym has a sauna and steam room where I'll go from the sauna to the steam room back and forth and then uh, I'll go down and do like a light, like um, 10 to 15, probably 15 minute little ride on the bicycle. Just kind of get, uh, get more loose and then, then roll out again and then go back up into the steam room and then do uh, an ice cold shower. Okay. And, and that's pretty much what I've been doing. It's pretty much what I've been doing. It's been, it's been awesome on, on my muscles and also been doing, um, been doing more like Epsom salt baths too. Okay. So I thought I was gonna I was gonna rip you for something you're doing wrong. Like all that seems, <laughs> and so now I'm disappointed. But all that seems pretty good. Um, you know, one thing I would say is let's let's back way up because you you left out a really important part. So you get done with the hard jujitsu session. Those are typically at night for you, right? And then yeah. you said when you wake up in yep. the morning the next day you you roll out. Um, so I think I think the recovery starts pretty much the second uh, that you leave that that you leave that, uh, that gym. And the reason one is there's a lot of scientific debate about the importance or relevance of it, but without a doubt, there is a, a post-workout window, not in which if you don't get nutrients in, then you've just wasted your workout or whatever kind of bro science that is. But there is a window following a workout where your body is effectively more efficient, um, at absorbing or uptaking, uh, micro and macronutrients following a workout uh so the first thing i would do is get some kind of recovery fuel in and you probably are doing this and just didn't list it in there but i i i want to use that to illustrate the point that really recovery starts when the exercise ends and when the training ends when you train you're effectively creating free radicals and oxidative stress on the body and and stressing your body and central nervous system um and that's not by any means a healthy um 
it's 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 not it's not a healthy activity in itself. It's not like if you just go beat your body up every day, it's going to be great. Where the health comes in, and where the where the fitness games come in or gains come in, is um, in the recovery aspect of it. So your body's immune response to those stressors and stimuli is what actually provides a really um, interesting and uh, beneficial boost to your body. So recovery is super important. So when you just spent that uh, two hours at jujitsu tearing your body down, um, the first thing you're going to do is probably get like some type of nutrients in your body, right? Uh, whatever, whatever you eat, some people eat animal protein, some don't. Uh, but Typically, you want to get some kind of carbohydrate source and a protein source in. A fat source isn't probably ultra necessary at that point, though people should probably eat more healthy fats in general. But at that point, carbohydrate and protein, usually three to one or four to one ratio is what's generally considered as ideal or optimal. But we don't need to get too much into that. I think just getting something in is, is pretty important as long as it's quality. Um, so that would be the first thing I'd do. Uh, when you get home, I think there is a lot of evidence suggesting that that a cold shower is much more effective than a hot shower, um, just for better health, better immune health, better recovery. Um, but let's not confuse that cold shower, right, for like an ice bath or something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. And an ice bath is entirely different. And and so for so long, athletes have taken ice baths following training and. Uh, not only is it painful and inconvenient, it's also just probably unnecessary and and could even be detrimental because it impacts your body's ability uh, or basically short circuits your body's um, ability to recover properly on its own and, and respond to that inflammation. So you're taking that beneficial part away that I was just talking about a few minutes ago, your body's immune response to it. Um, you're taking that away effectively by taking too many ice baths. So that's a very old school. And I see so many people on Instagram um, on Facebook, uh, telling their athletes or whoever they're influencing to take ice baths. Absolutely uh, unnecessary, absolutely old science, uh, would not recommend it. Science doesn't recommend it. Um, but a cold shower is entirely different. You're not just soaking your body in freezing cold water. Cold showers are typically, uh, I don't know, three minutes in duration, five minutes in duration. For me, when I take a cold shower, which is almost all the time, 98% of the time, um, I'm in there just long enough to uh, wash my body. Yeah. So that's good. So if you, if you were to get some nutrients in, maybe take a cold shower. Uh, there's a lot of evidence. The reason I say a cold shower too, the main reason at night is there's a lot of evidence that cold showers before uh, bed can actually help you sleep better. Um, and, uh, like if there's, there was one study just released this like mega, uh, study and it, it showed conclusively that if you're able to keep your forehead cool while you're sleeping, your sleep quality goes way up. Uh, not exactly sure how most people would do that, but it just is a testament to uh, cold showers and things like that, how they can work. I noticed that I personally sleep better after taking a cold shower. I don't know how you feel about that. Do you feel the same? I, I do feel, I do feel that I feel like more relaxed for some reason. Okay. Yeah, it's good. And then it's weird because if I, you know, I typically train in the morning or mid morning and when I get back and I take a cold shower, it, it stops me from hitting this like midday lull after I've just put in a really hard training session. It makes me just kind of maintain my energy system, but at night it makes me tired. And if it's a placebo effect, it may be, I don't know, but it works. So I'm not going to question it. Yeah. Either way it's working. Yeah. So, uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, so yeah. And then the next thing, and this is something that in this modern society we have, uh, Pat, I know that you're real bad at it. People just watch Netflix uh, you're not bad at that, but people scroll on their phone, 
that's what you're bad at. Um, yeah. And <laughs> when, when you're emitting these, uh, uh, these really, the kind of like lighting that comes from phones that actually has been shown to disrupt your sleep cycles. So, uh, you know, basically using your phone or watching the TV and the, the blue lighting or whatever it emits. Um, I'm not, I don't, I'm, I'm at a loss for words of the type of like actual lighting that it emits, but either way, it, the lighting from electronics, um, typically hampers people's ability to, to sleep or to fall into deep sleep. Um, so I typically recommend trying to cut off uh, electronics at least an hour before bed, but even more 90 minutes before bed. I think people would be, uh, they'd benefit a lot more from maybe a really nice, gentle, like pre-bed yoga or um, some reading, some writing. Uh, I recently just picked up a coloring book that has a bunch of different mandalas in it. Um, so like, I just, I color that before bed, like my, um, my, my restfulness and my sleep has, you know, improved tenfold, um, as a result. So cutting out those electronics before bed is going to be key to sleeping properly and sleeping properly is key to recovery. So while you were doing so many things right in the recovery, we skipped over that, that little sliver of two hours at night or three hours at night. And that's so important. And so many people overlooked that, so I'm glad that we were able to highlight that. Yeah, definitely. I'll I'll try to. I'm I mostly try to read every single night. Um, and and I've been been uh, putting my phone down like, at least an hour before bed and not checking it. Yep. Just set my alarm and putting it down. But I just the but the main question is, I just need to know: Can you color in the lines? <laughs> What's up? <laughs> More or less. <laughs> I've uh, I've been able to really I'm not a, I'm not a college level art student like you Pat so I I, I didn't I didn't pay a hundred thousand uh, dollars to get that thing I cannot color between the lines probably as effectively as you can <laughs> but I'm trying <laughs> that's good that's good man I'm proud thank of you. you thank you no and uh, I, I do find that you know with with restful sleep comes obviously this is just a no-brainer the ability to train at a higher level and recover at at a higher level um so the next thing to touch on so assuming that you get your sleep patterns disorder the next day is like let's talk about nutrition um so i've said before that when i switched to a vegan diet my nutrition i've noticed that my recovery time has gone down now was that because i cut like free range and pasture raised organic meats out of my diet or was that because i added more plants um and anti-inflammatory i would probably argue it's the latter of the two um but either way it's a it's a testament that to me for myself that i know if i get more antioxidant rich foods um in my body and more more quality micronutrients i'm going to uh, recover better and that's the case for most people and there's a lot of evidence that supports that so whether you're vegan whether you're vegetarian uh whether you're an omnivore or whatever, whatever is beyond that. Um, I think having more plants, anti-inflammatory foods, a green food supplement in your, in your diet can be really beneficial for recovery. Um, so, you know, it's, it's easy to see how some of these like professional runners eat terribly. They just eat like a Chipotle burrito loaded with queso a couple times a week when they're running 120 mile weeks. And that's great, but that's not going to work for most people. Uh, so, right. As like a, as like an example, what's usually like a, like a re- go-to recovery meal for you? 
Uh, well, I guess it depends on the time of day. I look at every meal as a recovery meal, really. But um, I, I don't know. I don't subscribe to like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I typically eat four meals a day, sometimes two. It just depends on the day. Uh, but right. but like a big one, a big one for me, I guess. Um, I uh, will start sometimes start the day with um, a handful of cashews, um, or um, uh, either a handful of cashews and some like uh, sunflower seeds or pumpkin seeds, you know? So like I'm getting like some kind of seed or nut component for really like really good fats. Like, um, pumpkin seeds are a really good one. Cause they're like one of the highest sources of vegetarian protein. Um, so pumpkin seeds are a good source of fat and protein and micronutrients. So I usually go, you know, like pumpkin seeds, um, a plant-based protein shake. Sometimes I'll use whey, but mostly plant-based protein shake. Um, and then, uh, sprouted grain toast, uh, it's like, oh, yeah. it's like my go-to. And so that would be a, that would be maybe a typical meal, uh, in the morning. And then I like right now, uh, citrus is in season. So, um, I really like the, uh, like, like Mandarin oranges or any, any kind of citrus fruit, uh, right now, blood oranges. I'll typically have one of those. Uh, then my next meal will be like a really antioxidant rich, uh, salad with a protein source. Um, so like, just like that, I mean, just filling my plate with mostly vegetables. Um, yeah. And keeping it very simple. Yeah. It's very simple. It's just easier for me. You know, like I told you before we got on this podcast, I'm sitting in the parking lot at Trader Joe's, like I'm going in and buying sprouted grain bread right now. Um, and just a few other things. So like the simpler it is, the better it is for me because I'm so busy with coaching, with work, with training. Um, so simplicity is probably better for most people. Uh, I, I do tend to keep that first meal of the day. Um, and this is a personal preference, so I wouldn't recommend anybody follow this unless they find it beneficial for themselves. But I typically keep that first meal of the day lower in carbohydrates. Um, like spread of grain bread isn't terribly high in carbohydrates it's really good source of protein as well um so like ezekiel sprouted grain bread is what i usually go with or there are some other brands that are similar um and then so it's really it's kind of a high fat high protein meal uh that i get with that protein shake um that's really low in carbohydrates and then the nuts or seeds that are high in fat so i'm i'm, I'm pretty much the first two meals of the day because the next meal is usually like this like greens bowl or something i'm not eating a really high carbohydrate uh, diet, I tend to backload my carbohydrates because uh, I feel less sluggish throughout the day. While I recognize carbohydrates are an absolutely vital source of fuel, um, they need to be used in moderation, and I prefer to use them in the back half of the day. Uh, and that makes me feel less bloated, less sluggish throughout the day, if that makes sure. any sense. Oh, yeah, definitely does. Um, so so nutrition is a, is a huge quality component. Um, luckily, a lot of or, or, or several of, of my athletes that run strong coaching are working with, um, you know, one of our, we just signed on a dietitian, Lauren, and she was on their first episode of the podcast actually. And, uh, they're able to work with her. So I don't have to dive too much into the nutrition because frankly, it's not my area of expertise, but I am nailing down something that's working for myself and it tends to be lower carb, um, higher vegetable and fat intake lower, uh, earlier in the day. And then, carbohydrate like maybe i'll have uh, my favorite like bean burritos that i make at night um with some grilled avocado or something like that you know typically i eat avocado in the morning uh pasture raised eggs um really the only animal sources of food i eat are occasional greek yogurt pasture raised eggs um and goat cheese from time to time so all those figure in somewhere typically in my diet um and that's what works for me so i found being a full vegan yeah. didn't really work for me um but having those limited animal sources go a long way for me. 
Definitely. So just a little recap, varying, varying surfaces to train on, varying uh, paces in your runs, especially easy runs, yep. and then varying footwear. Yep. And varying footwear is super important. Yeah, but I mean, not even just easy runs though, right? Like you got to vary the paces of your, of your yeah. hard workouts too. Hopefully those are strategically planned and right. you have somebody planning them for you or you know you're or you know what you're doing. Uh, but if you can't run fast, you typically can't race fast. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, so you need to have some component of fast running. Just most people overdo it. For sure. Um, and then, yeah, so sleep is very important. Uh, nutrient dense uh, meals are very important. And I think all, all of this really catapults into um, when I have athletes ask me, like you put in a 95 mile week this week and you gave me a 45 mile week. Um, you have to, or like I have one athlete, Brian, who runs 95 to 90 miles every single week, pretty much uh, with a down week here and there. Um, and I have some athletes that run 20 miles a week. And the thing is, is you have to be patient in this sport, but you have to earn the right to be able to run that high mileage consistently without being hurt. I have no doubts that most people, the more they run, the better they're going to get. The problem is, is they have too many movement dysfunctions. They have too many nutritional deficiencies. Uh, they have too many things that are improper about their, about their, their whole training, uh, I guess their whole life in general, uh, that won't allow them to run that high mileage without getting hurt. So it takes time to build into that. And so I want people to really realize that you have to earn the right to be able to train really hard. And too many people get impatient because if some is good, the, the typical way we're raised is that more is better. Um, but that's not always the case. If some money, if you make $70,000 a year and you're happy, if you make 100000 it's not necessarily going to be better. Um, and that, that, that's with everything. You know, If you're doing well on 55 miles a week, maybe you should keep running 55 miles a week for a while till your body adapts to that stimulus before you try to bump it up to 65 or 75 miles a week. These are marginal changes that we just listed that can pay really big dividends in the long term, assuming – uh, that you're able to do it consistently. And it's not about being 100% perfect over the short term, like three or four or five weeks. It's about being pretty good over a course of weeks and months and years. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, appreciate, I appreciate people wanting to like dive in and like work and work hard and do more. But at the same time, like, yeah, like you said, easing into it, it's only going to be better in the long term. Yeah. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying ease in, into it, right? Because you know me, I'm, I'm go all in. But the problem is, is too many people tend to silo things and view them only as, as what they perceive them as. So if you're, if you're running 45 minutes a day, we'll say, um, I'm, you know, like, okay, I'll just give myself an example. I'm running 90 minutes pretty much on average with a longer, two longer runs on the weekends, but 90 minutes each weekday and two hours a day, we'll say on the weekends. Um, that's not all of my training though, right? So I have like prehab, um, I have like recovery protocols like we just named. Um, I have all these things that I'm doing outside of running that are making me a better runner. And people are only looking at the time that they're maybe running or the time that they're cycling or swimming or cross training as making them a better runner. But what about the, what about the strength right. work? What about the food that they're prepping? What about their nutrition? What about their just doing research and learning more? Uh, you know, what about their sleep? All of these things are components of training. And when I tell an athlete to run 45 minutes today, it doesn't mean that they're off the hook after 45 minutes of running. The, 
right. when when you sign up to be to be coached by me or to coach by anybody, you're making a deal with them that that you're going to be all in, and that includes the stuff outside of running. So when you realize that that is also training, then you start to say, okay, well now I can make positive deposits into this bank account in several ways. Yeah, hundred percent. So I think that that's uh yeah go ahead yeah that's uh, yeah sorry that's just that's just like it's more it's like a lifestyle like you're signing up for this like lifestyle you want to be healthy you want to be a better runner but it's not just running right. you know you want to what was it? oh yeah but yeah you, like it's it's a lifestyle you like this is something you want it's something you want to grow in and it just it takes more than just going out and running ninety ninety minutes uh, every other day or whatever. Oh, yeah, 100%. And so when people realize that, then they say, okay, well, maybe you're, maybe you're onto something with that. And when they start living that life and making a total lifestyle, that's when you start loving that process and being a part of the process, and that's when the results come. So that's why I'm always saying trust the process, fall in love with the process, and the results come. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about falling in love with that 45 minutes you run each day or those 13-mile long runs or 15 or 19 or 20-mile long runs on the weekend. I'm talking about falling in love with every single bit of it because no matter how much you run during the week, you will not be successful if you don't implement these other components. Absolutely. So Couldn't agree more. So, I mean, I think that's a good place to, to end it, and this is a very brief or I don't want to say brief, but it's a very broad outline of the things that you need to do. Um, you know, you could always reach out if you have any questions you think I can answer for you on it, uh, anybody. But the, the, I guess the roadmap is there. The, the roadmap to success is, is there. And, um, you know, some, everybody's individual, but those principles will go a long way for almost everybody. It's very applicable to most people's situation. Absolutely. And I want to appreciate, I want to thank everyone for listening. Really appreciate it. I really appreciate people reaching out and asking questions. Yeah. Appreciate all the reviews on iTunes, everything like that. Like we are, we have all five-star reviews on iTunes, 60 something five-star. And then we have one, um, Dillweed who gave us, uh, a one star, <laughs> but I, I suspect when you give somebody a one star, it's, it's a lot of jealousy, a lot of hater, hater aid that he's sipping or she, but that's okay. Um, we've had, you know, some great guests and everything like that. And I do want to announce that I'm, I'm happy to say that we're going to have some apparel, uh, coming in the next few weeks. So that's a really exciting next step for, uh, Pat and Michael and I in this little operation that we run here. Yes, sir. I'm very excited for it. Very excited for everyone to see. So as always, uh, we truly appreciate your support. Truly appreciate you taking the time to listen. Um, everything like that. Love getting the messages. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Bottenhorn Running. You can find me on my website at www.markbottenhorn.com. And Pat, where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram at patxgates. Feel free to reach out. All right. Until- Thanks for listening to another episode of the Finding Strong Podcast. As always, if this episode brought you value, um, please like, share, subscribe, rate us on iTunes, share us on Instagram, tell the world about us. Thanks again, and stay strong.